so th this this shear and the next one or possibly two shearim are going to be recorded and perhaps the beginning of a uh, an online like share uh, or podcast that I'm going to be uh, sharing. So hopefully this will be this can be recorded and accessible not just through my Zoom link, but um, but for whoever, whoever's interested. Every year, and it comes somewhat near to Tishabov and the three weeks. I always feel like there's a there's something inside of me that needs to ex be expressed, and. It could take me 15 hours of stuff to say because I, I like to ramble. But also, I, I have had this feeling for quite a number of years that the three weeks specifically are related very much to what therapists do. And as a therapist, and a lot of people here are therapists, I, I feel like there's something unique that needs to be said. I think there's something... It's not necessarily unique to Torah, but it's something that, that therapists have a perhaps unique perspective on that can be shared to try to understand, not just in Panemius, but to try to know and understand what is this Tkufa of our lives about. So some of this you've heard, and some of this might be a continuation of other things we've we've talked about in the last few weeks but um, we're going to kind of just just jump into it because it really has to do with a hashkafa about life uh, uh, to be honest and authentic and real about what life is what life what our lives are personally and what it what message the, this whole yantiv of tishabov has for us and to understand it in a way that's sophisticated enough and mature enough that it doesn't hurt us or burn us. It was really, you know, as a third generation post-Holocaust um, person, as well as everybody here is at least not a second, third, maybe even fourth generation post-Holocaust uh, survivor, we have to really um, think, I think, in a mature way about what Yiddishkeit means to us. And specifically, looking back to the last greatest uh, major catastrophe that Klal Yisrael went through, and to take some stock of how we respond to the Holocaust. A few years ago uh, in, in shul on... Um, I think it was Pesach, it was Shvishal Pesach. So there used to be uh, like a rotation of people that would speak in between Mincha and Mayrev. And, I, and my parents were here for Yantiv, and the Rav asked me to, to speak as one of the people to speak in between Mincha and Mayrev. And it was after, I think it was, must have been Shvi or Achron Shal Pesach because we said Yizkar that day. And Rabbi Weinberger, my Rebbe, as he normally does before Yizkar, talked about remembering, and it was a particularly uh, intense drasha about the Holocaust. And with, with probably temerity and chutzpah, I got up and I, and I said something about how my generation doesn't really want to hear about the Holocaust anymore. And I felt bad because I, I think it was a little sensitive um, uh, on my part. Maybe it was chutzpah on my part. And so I... I I think I apologized to him. I hope I apologized to him. But it was in somewhat a, a frustration that I had about talking about the Holocaust, the Holocaust, the Holocaust, and feeling something that only later I, I saw expressed in the words of Rav Kook in such unbelievable way, Rav Kook who lived before the Holocaust, but really feel that in the, in the year 2020, in the United States of America, which seems to be going very, very quickly in a, in, a, in a very negative way. To be able to stop and say, look, you know, it's 2020. The Holocaust happened a long time ago, not, not in biological time, not in, in chronological time, but so much has changed. We have, we have 
recovered so swiftly and rapidly in many ways from the Holocaust that we have to we have to talk relevantly. We have to talk about what's relevant about the Holocaust. And I think the 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 thing that comes to my mind is to say, look, we have rebuilt yeshivas, we have rebuilt kashras, we have rebuilt um, ourselves financially, we have rebuilt and restored in many ways the major Jewish institutions that we had before the Holocaust. We did that very, very quickly. We've become We've become um, acculturated to what it means to live in the United States. We've become connected to the land of Eretz Yisrael, and there's all kinds of Yiddishkeit that's, that's uh, exploding on every different corner of the world. <clears throat> Kirov rabbis from every different walks of life are being of people into all different walks of Yiddishkeit. And by and large, the Orthodox Jewish world seems to be doing very, very well. <clears throat> And so many of us don't want to hear about the Holocaust. Many of us don't want to hear about uh, suffering and pain. And we come to we come to a yantiv like Tishabov and we say, okay, you know, I, we don't want to hear it. Like we have good lives and and we're we're you know we're sick and tired of hearing about what was. And I think there's a certain holiness to that sick and tiredness. And the holiness says. Stop bothering me with smallness. Stop telling me they're trying to kill me. Why do I, who's sitting in my house in Ulit, why do I need to hear about the fact that that built into the, the nefesh of Goyim, built into the world, is this concept of Esav, Sonas, Yaakov? Why do I need to know that? Why are you bothering that with, that, with, with me with that? So some you didn't get beat up sometimes on the street by some non-Jews. All right, you know, fine. For, by and large, for the most part, it doesn't really affect us. It's not really part of our lives. And it's not something we need to contend with. More than that, many of us have a sentiment, and I think there's truth to it, that the, the founders of America came out of the Holocaust. I'm sorry, the founders of, of Yiddishkeit in America those big tzaddikim, the Kleisenberger Rebbe and the Satmar Rebbe and Ravarin Cutler and others who were the miyastim, the founders of post-Holocaust Judaism in America, which of course, if you know anything about history or if you have American grandparents, you, you know well that Judaism in America was very, very chashev before the war. And there was, it wasn't so simple what the post-Holocaust uh, Yidin did. There was a lot of tension in what American Jewry was, and there, there's still some segments of bad blood. But by and large, for the most part, the miastim of Torah in America post the Holocaust really created a, a post-traumatic Judaism. Insofar as Judaism seeks to reestablish itself post the Holocaust in a way that we want to prevent assimilation, in a way we want to create enough financial resources that if we should ever need to flee again, we can do so, that we can be miyase, we can, we can find aspects of Judaism that become ingrained in our souls and in our bones that of Chas ever if it should ever be ever again that we're, our faith is tested, everybody should know off, 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 of the, uh, off the cuff. They should be able to say Shema and Shema Esrei and all different kinds of things and know Judaism in, through and through so that there's never ever again the possibility that Torah might be lost. And the, the generation that was post-Holocaust was the Daryasam. In other words, so many people walk down to their chuppah without having, without having family. So many Rashi yeshivas became parents. So many Rebbeim and Rabbanim became overnight, or I shouldn't say overnight, over the, over the course of that decade became parents to millions of refugees. And in that way, Torah was established. And the fallout from that, which is the sentiment that I think there's truth to, the fallout from that is 
that Yiddishkeit is taught in a, in a top-down manner so that there is an infrastructure of authority figures, both in Rabbanim and in God, that tell us how we have to be, we have to follow, and as followers, in many, many ways, our lives become very restricted because there's no room for creativity, there's no room for personal greatness, there's no room for growth. And in many ways, our Yiddishkeit has become <coughs> restrictive. In, 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 in certain segments, more outliers, but in certain segments of our Yiddishkeit, and we see this in people who have left Yiddishkeit, Yiddishkeit itself becomes persecutory, which psychologically makes a lot of sense if you understand how psychology works. <clears throat> a, a nation that's seeking to prevent victimhood has within it, unconsciously, the feelings of being a victim and by, very, by the very nature of that, set up a system that can perpetuate oppression. And that is something, it's again, it's very much an outlier sentiment. It's not, that's not part of, that's not the way most people feel about Yiddishkeit. But the fallout of what people believe, or what people understand of what took place in America after the Holocaust, what our generation struggles with is a Yiddishkeit that feels very much oppressive, that feels very much victimizing, that feels very much like I have to be in tension with it all my life. And my feeling about that is we have to, we have to break the shackles of that. We, we, have, we have done so much unbelievably to restore such magnificence to Yiddishkeit and even though that's all behaviorally, things emotionally always take a much longer time to process. I believe, I hope, that we're at a stage in our lives and that we're at a stage in history that Judaism can reclaim its proper place as being the most unbelievably empowering and the most inspiring, big dreaming kind of thing in our lives. And that's really what I, what I, what I want to be able to talk about. I want to talk about a victimhood mentality to suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. A victimhood mentality to suffering. A survivor mentality to suffering. And a thriving mentality to suffering. In certain ways, in the Svarim, the way they explain the three weeks and the way they explain the Shlakadr says this, that there's three, there's three periods to Tisha B'Av itself. Tisha B'Av has, the first night it has Echa, the next morning there's Kinnis, and then after, already after Chatzos on Tisha B'Av, you already start the beginning of Nechama, which is, which is the time of Mashiach, really. And I think that what, what we can safely say is, is that the, this number three, the three weeks, the three parts of Tisha B'Av, in modern psychological terms, they represent the victim mentality, the survival mentality, and the thriver mentality. And that's really what I, what I, what I want to get into, because I, I think that for many of us, our Judaism, and this is really, really what I want to talk about, it might even be just addressed to the, to the people who feel that Yiddishkeit is oppressing. So I want to address victimhood, survivorhood, and thriverhood, if you will, and talk about what, what Yiddishkeit could look like in all those three aspects. Talk about not just Yiddishkeit, but talk about pain in general, and talk about suffering in general, and talk about the way those three categories, when you, wherever you are on those three categories of either being a victim or being a person who survived victimhood or being a person that thrived, to be able to see pain and suffering through the lens of those three things, because those are the three stages. Echa, Echa is talking all about the, 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 the brokenness of the Chorban Habayis. It's the, it's the most intense time of Tisha B'Av. The morning we say Kinnis. Kinnis Rabbi Nachman says, if you flip the letters around, it's Tikkun. It's already about being in survival mode. It's already having left 
the victimhood, we leave talking about the Chorban, we go into talking about all the rest of the Tzaras and Klal Yisrael, and we'll talk about how that itself is, is survival, and making its way to Shabbos Nachamu and the, and the seven weeks of Nachama that take place after Tisha B'av, how that all has to do with Mashiach, and eventually, Meretz Hashem, how that gets us to Rosh Hashanah. So let's, let's, let's begin. Let's begin this, um, this, this shear by recognizing, first and foremost, that pain is an absolute necessary part of life. And when I say necessary, what I mean is it's necessary simply by the fact that we all have it. And to make believe that pain doesn't exist or to try to reject pain or to try to pathologize pain is to make a tremendous, tremendous mistake about the absolute necessity of having pain in our lives. Pain, of course, comes from not just Hashem, but pain comes from the darker, the dark side of the moon, if you will. Pain comes from the darker parts of life, which already from the, from the get-go, anybody that, that, that you know, can think philosophically for a minute knows that light and pain contrast each other and that, that uh, without contrast, very often you can't tell the beauty of something. So you need, you need darkness to see light and you need light to see darkness. So that's a, that's a basic concept. And so if you don't have pain, you can't know happiness. So throughout this forum, you find, you find that, that theory mentioned throughout all the all spiritual traditions, throughout all philosophical concepts. We have that idea of how pain and, and joy can be juxtaposed against each other. That's one, that's one basic mahalak, but I, I'm not really going to go with that. I want to talk about pain. I think specifically as a therapist, we have to be mature and we have to be sophisticated and we have to be real. So forgive me, you know, if, if I was a college professor, I would, I would offer a trigger warning. We have to be realistic for a minute. Every human being has aspects of our lives that are painful. Whether it's disappointment, like you stuck your hand in your pocket to pull out a nickel and instead you pulled out a quarter, it's a tiny little disappointment, to that, that little mida that we have that gnaws at the back of our mind that we always, we always say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to one day, we'll work on one day, we'll, 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 we'll get that, we'll save it for a rainy day, and then the rainy day happens, but we never change. Whatever it might be, and even those things we have grown on in our lives, we've all tasted deficits. We've all tasted deficits. And we've all tasted things that are larger than just deficits. We've all tasted things that have challenged us, whether these are aspects of our lives that challenge us internally because we ourselves can't figure out how to make it better, or these are aspects of our lives that have been perpetrated on us. As a therapist, I um, would say, if I were to just take a scan of the, the different kinds of suffering that I come across on a daily basis. It ranges from addictions, all kinds of addictions, shopping, gambling, sex addiction, <clears throat> all kinds of alcohol, drugs. And that's to, just to define an addiction that means somebody who's lost in the, uh, in the, in the craving that leads to oblivion, that's craving for craving for craving for craving, but that the person's psyche is convinced it's all about, no, 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 that next time I fill in the blank, whatever that addiction is, that next time I will be mamala, I will fulfill that craving. And that craving of oblivion, which feels like it's a search for infinity, but of course only leads to oblivion, to marital discord, to people that are lonely, to people that have had the worst kinds of abuse perpetrated on them, to people who struggle with their own gender identity, sexual identity, to people who can't get along with their children or their parents or their siblings, to people who can't get along with God, to people who can't get along with themselves. 
All of these are the kinds of life struggles that therapists have, but not just therapists. Well, well, therapists have in our offices, but these are struggles that are part of the human condition. And whether we're a therapist or a Rav or a Rebetzin or, or we're not any of those things, people struggle in life. So we know, first and foremost, that the Gemara teaches us whoever is misabel, whoever grieves over the Beis HaMikdash. So, the Gemara says, if you grieve over the Beis HaMikdash, you will see it build in your days. So that's, you know, okay. So we, we, have, to, we have to explain that because we believe that people for the last 2,000 years have been grieving for the Beis HaMikdash and we haven't seen it built yet. So we have to explain that. Secondly, we know that the Gemara says any generation that the Beis HaMikdash was not built in, it's, it's ki'ilu as if in that generation the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. And the Lubavitch Rebbe, there was a, a, a video going around recently of the Lubavitch Rebbe saying that the Rugged Shavr, the Rugged Shavr paskind halachically, which, which has certain ramifications, the Rugged Shavr said that every year the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, mamish. It's not just it was destroyed once. The Beis HaMikdash is destroyed every single year. That means that the potential for the Beis HaMikdash is here all the time. And when the, the, it's not just that there was a passive not actualizing of the potential, but there was a, there's an actual destruction of potential that takes place every year. And we know that by extension of every single by extension of the Churban Beis HaMikdash comes the unbelievable challenges and deficits that we all feel. In other words, when I stick my hand in my pocket and I pull out a nickel instead of a quarter, that's called Churban Beis HaMikdash. That when, when somebody in the middle of the night is touched in a way that they shouldn't be touched and their privacy is invaded, that's called Churban Beis HaMikdash. When somebody struggles with their own gender identity, that's called Churban Beis HaMikdash. When somebody struggles with feeling down about themselves and they can't even figure out why, that's called Churban Beis HaMikdash. Because the Beis HaMikdash represents all of life, all of beauty, all of love manifest to its fullest extent. We have to explain that. We have to explain that. So those of you that, that, that have, that, that, have heard me, um, I don't think I've said it recently, but let's, let's, let's just explain this. Happiness, happiness doesn't just mean joy. It doesn't just mean a mood. It doesn't just mean a feeling. Happiness is being in a state of complete manifestation and complete connection with the meaning of who I am. The human experience of happiness is that I am who I am in the most natural way possible, with nothing getting in the way. No ego gets in the way, no second guessing gets in the way, no anxiety gets in the way, no depression gets in the way. When my soul is manifest, that means that, the, that all of my potential for greatness is manifest, that's called happiness. Vice versa, when I am tapped into my neshama, when I am tapped into uh, to the, the, the greatness of what I am, and even not just the greatness, as we'll see in a minute, even if it's not just the greatness, but I am tuned in to the essence of who I am with all of the negative aspects and all the positive aspects, when I'm tuned into my essence, that's called happiness. So happiness means to live in a way and to be in a state of being connected to myself in the most possible way. Beis HaMikdash, Mashiach, they're not just, you know, ethereal abstract concepts. They are the end result of all searching in life. They are the address that every one of us is searching for. They are the state of being happy. When Mashiach comes, Mashiach is going to give us, each and every one of us, the crown of happiness the, 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 the possibility of being completely connected with who I am and what I am and to be fully manifest into this world without any fear, without any insecurity, without any negativity, without anything getting in the way, 
And as the Gemara says that in the Beis HaMikdash, there, there was a nace that even if, it doesn't make a difference how many people are there, in the Beis HaMikdash, there's space for every single one of us to have comfortably, not pushed, not, not rejected, not neglected. Everybody gets their own socially distant box in the base, in the base of Mikdash. Everybody is able to be fully who they are in the base of Mikdash. Because the base of Mikdash is the place for all of humanity, all of Yidin, all of Judaism, all of life to be completely vibrant, to be completely unleashed onto, onto the world. It's life turned from the inside out in the most complete way possible. That's the Beis HaMikdash, that's happiness, and that's what we all yearn for. And so if we're going to have a discussion of what we're missing, we have to know what it means for us in our lives. That the entirety of Tisha B'av is about my relationship to my neshama, my relationship to my potential, the darker side of the moon, it's the darker side of the year. As this farm explained, it's the time of the summer, which even though is light outside, but it's also hot. It's also, in Eretz Yisrael, it's the time of dryness. It's not the time of rain. It's the time of heat. It's the time of burning. It's the time of fire. It's the time that seems to be about destruction. We don't want to be outside. We want to be indoors in the air conditioning. We have to talk about that in the neshama. We have to talk about the soul. We have to talk about how Judaism creates a context for Ra, for evil, for all of those defects and all those disappointments we have. We have to create a context for them. And that is really what Tisha B'Av is about. It's about gaining perspective and context <coughs> about the Beis HaMikdash, about potentiality, about the magnificence, not that's just buried inside of us, the, ma the magnificence of what we are. So in order to do this, I want to share with you, I want to share with you a, a Torah from the Alter Rebbe, from, from the Balatanya, and elaborate on, on, on something the Balatanya says. I have to thank my friend Dovi Rabinowitz, who spoke about this at a Sheva Brachas recently, and I want to extend uh, uh, what he said. So you have to, you have to be able to, to, to listen, listen loudly, as a, a, a teacher of mine used to say, listen loudly. This, everybody knows that there was somebody named Shammai, and there was somebody named Hillel. According to the Arizal, Shammai and Hillel were both a Gilgal of Yohannesan and David, <clears throat> which in, in all of Tanakh, there is no greater friendship that exists. There is no greater uh, paradigm for understanding what it means to have a friend, not a spouse, a friend, what it means to have a friend than David and Yohannesan. And the Rizal says that Shammai and Hillel were the Gilgulim of David and Yohannesan. And if you learn anything about Talmud Bavli, if you learn anything about the Gemara, about Tarshav Alpeh, you see that Beishamah and Beisillel are always arguing with each other. That means that Shammai and Hillel are, all, are always in conflict. <clears throat> if, I, if I would be giving a share to, well, I'm going to give a share to boys now for a minute. When we learn Gemara, we, the, the way the Gemara talks, everything is always in conflict with each other. The Gemara says, maybe this is true, and then the Gemara says, no, no, it can't be true because of this. Maybe that's true, and it can't be true because of that. And when you read Gemara, it seems as if the world works in a very black and white way. This is A, and then A is always conflicted with B, and then there's always a conflict, there's always a question, there's always a contradiction, and then the Gemara has to come up with some way of explaining an answer. There's a very black and white argumentative aggression that, that yeshiva guys learn the Gemara with, and it seems as if that that's the way life is meant to be. And if you, if you talk to, to some, some people, you talk to some yeshiva guys, unfortunately, their whole way of living is always with either uh, contradicting what was just said, or in their minds, everything is either or, and there's never a, a sense of both an and. 
right? The spiritual concept of both and and. You never you never see that. You see instead argumentativeness. You see conflict all the time. When you when we learn Beishama and Beisilel, it seems to be that they're always in conflict with each other, and they are. It's, it's machlekes, machlekes. But we have to understand what it means to have a machlekes in Judaism, because to have a machlekes in Judaism does not mean to be aggressive with each other. To have a machlekes in Judaism does not mean I'm right and you're wrong. Even when the Gemara, the Gemara says that we follow one person, we don't follow somebody else, it doesn't mean we reject those that we don't follow. In halacha, if we say this is, this is good and this is bad, it doesn't mean we reject the bad. What it means is that we're focused positively on the good and the bad is something we don't engage in. And I'm going to explain to you what that means. Hopefully by the end of this year, you'll understand why I'm making this distinction. So let's talk about Beishama and Beisilo. The Gemara records a, a machlaikis between Shama and Hillel. When a kala gets married, when a woman gets married, so the machlaikis is, how do you praise a kala? How do you praise a new, a new bride? Beishamai says, Kala Kamashihi, that you're not al peep shot, basic, basic shot to understand what Beishamai says. Beishamai says, you're not supposed to uh, run around and search to see if she's beautiful. You're not supposed to find all of her midos. Tell her what she is. Kala Kamashihi, exactly the way she is. That's how you should praise her. Don't embellish anything. If she's ugly, tell her she's ugly. If she's, if she, um, if she's flat-footed, tell her she's flat-footed. Just tell her the way she, the way it is. And Basilo says, no, Kalanov Achasudov, you have to embellish, you have to embellish her, you have to make her look and sound more beautiful than she is. And you got to tell her, even if you have to make up lies, you have to tell her, you have to tell her nice things about her and push all the bad things away. So says the Alter Rebbe, what is this machlekis really about? What is this machlekis really about? Because every time Beishama and Basil argue. They're not just arguing about the specifics of what they're arguing about. For this, you have to learn Maharal. You have to understand that everything in Beishamai is Alpinidis Hadin, and everything in Beis Hillel is Alpinidis Harachamim. That means that Beishamai, if a ger comes to Beishamai and he says to Beishamai, teach, says to Shamai, teach me Torah al Regalachas. Shamai says, You're not Jewish. I'm not teaching you Torah. You're asking me a stupid question. Get out of here. Hillel, that's all Rachmanis, says, come here, I'll teach you, I'll teach you something. We have a Kabbalah that says that after Mashiach comes, Shammai is going to end up being the one that we Paskin like, that only in Olam Hazed do we Paskin like Beis Hillel. The world of Beis Hillel is very much the world of Olam Hazed, but when Mashiach comes, we're going to Paskin like Beis Shammai, and there's, there's, there's a lot to describe and understand here, but just to go back to what the Alter Rebbe says. Shammai says, treat the Kala Kamashihi, praise the Kala exactly the way she is. Hillel says, treat the Kala by embellishing her, make her up, make her look beautiful. So says the Alter Rebbe, who is the Kala? The Kala is every human being. The Kala is the Neshama. The Kala is the, is the Shekhinah. That means Hashem is our husband and we are his wife. And Shammai and Hillel are arguing in understanding what is the godless of Kal Yisrael. Is the godless of Kal Yisrael, as Shammai says, Kal or is the godless of Kal Yisrael the embellishments, the, the, the beautiful things of, of, of Kal Yisrael? Meaning, to explain this, to explain this, and this is really... Well, this is really something that's it's, it's very important. Shammai says, do you want to know the godless of Kal Yisrael? The godless of Kal Yisrael is that Kal Yisrael is Kal Yisrael. That's the godless of Kal Yisrael. It's not about what you do, and it's not about how great you are, and it's not about how beautiful you are, and it's not about the chesed you do, and it's not about the Mika Amchi Yisrael stories that you hear. Kal Yisrael Kamoshihi. Kala Kamoshihi. Beis Hillel says, no, Kalanov Achasudov. 
You have to find, you have to say the Mikam Chisrael stories. You have to run around and you have to see the beauty of what Klai Yisrael has accomplished over all the years. So what does this mean for us? So you know, I've said this, I think, a few times. Everything that we see in the world really has a corollary to what goes on inside of us. In other words, you can see things from the angle of what goes on historically or what goes on relationally between people, what goes on in the world. But you also have to be able to look and take all of the things that you witness in the world and apply it back to what goes on inside of ourselves. That means that this machlaikis between Shammai and Hillel has to do not just, not just a machlaikis about a national picture of how you're supposed to value Klal Yisrael, but it has to do with two koichas that exist inside of us, two aspects of our daily living. And we have to be able to understand what they, what they mean and how they interact with each other and what the machlaikis is. So we'll start off with Hillel. Hillel says, do you want to know, do you want to know what the proper way to be proud of yourself? You want to know what the, the proper way of understanding how Hashem looks at you? You want to know when you come to Shul and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and you want to say shvach to Hashem about how beautiful Klai Yisrael is, you know what you're supposed to say, Hillel says? Look at all of the accomplishments you have. Look at all of the efforts you've put into life. Look at all of the potential that you have. Look at the beauty of what your family looks like. Look at the beauty of what you look like. Look at all the amazing things you've done and embrace it. Own it. Be full of it. Be excited. Be full of, of, of joy and happy and happiness for all the good things you've done. That's what Beisola says. Beishamai says no. Beishamai says no. Beishamai says no. Don't focus on all of the good that you've done. Shamai says, and this is Midas Hadin, and this is Mashiachtik. Shamai says, embrace the totality of what you are. Don't look at and don't embellish all of the growth you've had and all of the things you've changed and all of the unbelievable work you've done in your own therapy and all the mir miracles and the magic of what, you, of what you've accomplished in life. Don't look at that. Of course, it's great and beautiful. Nobody's, nobody's rejecting that. But Beishami says, I don't want you to look at that. I want you to look at who you are, the way you are, as you are, exactly right now, right here. Strip naked of all the embellishments. Put it all on the side. I don't want to hear any any. Uh, any embellishments, I don't want to hear any self-aggrandizements, I don't want to hear any chizuk, nothing. And that's Midas Adin, that's the world of Yitzchak Avinu, is to see the essence the way it is, exactly the way it is, as dirty as it is, as many deficits as there are, as much pain that there is, as much suffering that there is, as many averis you've done, as many years the base of Mikdash hasn't been destroyed. I don't care, Shammai says. Kala kemoi shehi that there's something about self-acceptance that goes beyond any kind of confidence, any kind of self-esteem, any kind of appreciation, any kind of success. It doesn't, it's all beyond that, Shammai says. Shammai says, Kala Kamashihi. I want you, Kala Yisrael, in the deepest way to be able to accept who you are for what you are, which is to be, which is to say, we are completely a nation full of tzaddikim. We are completely filled with the beauty of having a neshama, of having a soul inside of us. And nothing in this world, the sum total of everything good and bad you've done, doesn't touch the tip of the iceberg for how beautiful you are. Shammai says, you want to know, how are you mishabeach? How do you dance in front of a kala? That means, how do you dance in front of the mirror with yourself? How do you dance in front of Hashem's eyes to, to say how beautiful Kala Yisrael it is? Kala kamashihi. Exactly the way that I am. Exactly the way that I am. And that's the machlekes between Shammai and Hillel. And the reason why we don't paskin like Shammai is because in the world of Shammai, you have to be very careful. That's very dangerous. Self-acceptance in that way is very dangerous. Because Hill comes along and says, 
if you're just going to accept yourself the way you are, then on the one hand, you might just lay in bed all day and not do anything. On the other hand, you might be full of, of, of complete ego. Your, your life might be completely ego-filled. Ego and so Hillel says, no, no. This world is important. The world of Asiya, the world of doing, the world of building, the world of Tikkun, all of that stuff is important, Hillel says. Kalanov v'chasudev, you have to embellish and you have to constantly seek to create goals and to create beautiful buildings worth of, of, of the majestic things that humanity can accomplish. Because the world of Shammai is scary, is challenging. So we have to understand this, this machlokes between Shammai and Hillel, and the way the Alter Rebbe is explaining this. We have to understand this in the deepest, in a, in, a, in a deep way, because there's something of a chiddush in this machlokes that, again, we need to be mature about. Yes, it seems like like Shammai is taking a more loving stance here. Of course, Shammai is taking a more loving stance here, but there's 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 there there's a potential for complete um, a breakdown in the world of Shammai. Shammai is taking a more loving stance, but it's not so much loving as it is MS. Shammai is taking a stance about MS here. Shammai is saying MS is what's important. MS is what's important, and Hillel are Hillel is saying that. It's not so much MS, it's chesed. It's, 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 it's what, what we can accomplish. What we can accomplish, we have to do good things. We have to do beautiful things. We have to grow. We have to heal. We have to make things better. And Shammai is saying, you don't have to make anything better. You have to just accept life the way it is. And that in and of itself is an avoida. So we're going to, so people are, are sending questions. And so let me, let me, let me explain, let me explain, let me explain this for a minute. And then we'll see if the, if, if, if the questions are, are answered. Hillel says, don't accept reality for what it is. Don't accept reality for what it is. Instead, you have to grow. Instead, you have to grow. In each one of these shitas, which if we were to make them in the most simplistic way, we, we would say the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. That's the world of Shammai, accept reality the way it is. The courage to change the things that I can, that's Hillel, that's the world of Hillel, Kalanova Hasuda, and the wisdom to know the difference, which is really, which is really what all of life is about. It's about being able to live between those two paradigms. But here's what happens. Here's the downside of both of these, and this is why really you, you, you need both. They, they complement each other. Acceptance and change complement each other. Acceptance and growth complement each other. In the world of Hillel, in the world of Hillel, we are given and empowered to not just do things, but to change things and to grow things. Not just to change and grow things, but to really be a shutif, to be a partner with Hashem. And Hashem says, as we said before from the Baal Shem Tov, that when Hashem said, Nasa Adam, let us create man, what Hashem was saying, me and you, I am going to give you humanity the potential, the raw potential to grow. And you, humanity, are going to take that potential and develop that into, into, into an actualized life. So Hillel says that we are shutfim, we are partners with Hashem. And as partners with Hashem, we are empowered and also given the responsibility of growth. And Hillel, in the world of Hillel, the neshama is given an opportunity to express itself all the time. Because the neshama has a guf, and the guf is able to be a vehicle of the neshama and just and just move and go. Adam lo amul yulad. Man is meant is created to work. Man is meant to put effort in. 
that, that could be both read as the responsibility of man, and it, it could also be read as the, the unbelievable opportunity to create of man. Adam la'amal yula, that's the world of Hillel. Shammai says that the neshama needs to be in a resting place. The neshama is not meant to jump around doing things. The neshama is, is meant to simply accept life exactly uh, the way it is. It doesn't mean to say he's, he's not, he doesn't reject, he doesn't reject hard work or effort. But he says that in the panemius of life, what's more important is the meaning of life than whatever you can accomplish. Shammai is not so, he's not so connected to the accomplishments of life. He's more connected to the meaning of life. So what's the, what's the challenge of this? In the world of Hillel, the neshama says, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to engage with life. And the neshama puts itself out there, and the neshama tries. And what happens when the neshama tries? What happens when I, as a human being, try to engage in life? What's the first thing that, the, what's the first thing that happens when a little kid wants to take his first act of independence, which is which stage? That's the anal stage of Freud. That's the stage of learning to go to the bathroom. The first moment the child wants to be toilet trained, what's the first thing that happens that every parent knows? It doesn't work. It's the first thing that happens. It doesn't work. And at the next stage of life, when a child wants to learn to walk, it doesn't work. He falls down or she falls down. And at every stage in life, until, until we die, the moment we die, we all have the possibility of failure. We all do. All of us does. All of us do. <clears throat> destruction, all destruction, <coughs> excuse me, all destruction happens the way development happens. All of life is development. From the beginning of time until the end of time, there's one long continuous journey that is unfolding and that's developing. And so every single time that I get up in my life to try to do something, there's the possibility I'm going to fail. And every time that I'm engaged in a project, I'm going to fail somewhere. There's gonna be something somewhere, somehow, that there's a defect. Because Mashiach's not here, the Beis Amikdash is not here, and so nothing can be complete. There's no possibility that I can be manifest completely in this world, so somewhere, somehow, I'm going to fail. Destruction in the world of, of Beis Hillel means failure. In the world of action, it means failure. I didn't put in enough effort, or I put in enough effort, but it wasn't successful enough. Um, I... I, I I got married and the marriage isn't perfect. I had kids, the kids aren't perfect. I made money, it wasn't enough. Disappointment, failure, etc. And so the risk that the neshama takes every time that it stands up to act is it might fail. And since we live in this world, that's a world of Gashmias, and the neshama, which is all potential, is the world of Ruchnias. All potential is Ruchnias. All potential is not tangible. All potential is perfect, right? If you think about it, potential is perfect. When I'm sitting and fantasizing about how a project works, nothing gets in the way. It's perfect. I know exactly how it's going to be. It's only when we start to actualize it that we start to taste some negativity to some disappointment. So the neshama, which is all of my potential in the world of Basilo. Basilo is all about Kalanova Hasuda. It's all about the world of actualizing things. So the neshama says, I am living in the world of absolute perfection, and you want me to cross the bridge into the world of brokenness, into the world of period, into the world of, of asiya, in the world of doing, and you want me to actually bring I'm going to fail. What is sin? What is sin? What is Avera? Why does the Torah tell us that there's such a thing called Avera? Why do we have so many lice essays in the Torah? Because sinning is what happens when my neshama wants to go from potential to actuality, and the neshama doesn't know how to do that. That means the koyach of every single avera that's happened from the beginning of time till the moment of time, the energy, the potential 
behind every single Avera that ever existed in the history of the world that I did, that you did, that any, any person did in this world, the Kayach that's behind that is Kulay Ar, Kulay Taif. It's the Neshama wanting to express itself in a way of complete potentiality, of complete perfection, but it doesn't know how to make it across the bridge. It gets confused, it gets lost. It doesn't know how to do it. Whether it's terrified of its own magnificence or somewhere, somehow in life, something has created a blockage for me. And so it comes out instead in a way that's called Avera. Again, every single thing that happens on this planet is my neshama wanting to express itself. My soul, which is pure gold, it's pure magic, it's pure amazingness, it's pure perfection. The neshama wants to express itself and it can't. It doesn't know how. It gets broken down. And so what happens instead is we sin. We do an Avera. You can go to Shvichas Damim, murder. You can go to, you can go to Gili Arias. You can go to Avayi Desar. You can go to anywhere you want. Anywhere you want. Any Avera you've done. The worst Avera you've done. And the panemius of that Avera is an aspect of your neshama that's looking to express itself and it doesn't know how. So what's the problem with Hillel's perspective on life? The, pro the problem with Hillel's perspective on life is, Kalinov, Achasudov, if you're going to tell me you need to embellish, you need to appreciate the, the good stuff, that means by necessity there's going to be bad stuff. That means that there's stuff that you're, you're, you're going to leave out. The problem with, Basil, with Hillel's uh, perspective on life is, you're going to leave stuff out. There are going to be things about the Kala, there are going to be things about Kala Yisrael, there are going to be things about myself when I look in the mirror, I'm not going to like. And Hill doesn't really have a formula for that other than to say, focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Just focus on the positive and you'll be good. You'll be good. And Hashem HaKadosh came and he said, Sur Merav Asay Toif, Asay Toif, do good. Sur Merav, Sur Merav, the Hashem says, don't think about the Ra. Sur Merav means remove, remove the evil, Asay Toif, and do good. So the Basham explains, what does it mean, remove yourself from evil? He says, Taka, remove yourself from evil. Stop thinking about it. Stop worrying about your character defects. Stop worrying about the things that are hard for your life. Go out there and focus on the good. But the problem with that is that we don't know Taka, what do we do with the Ra? If if I've avoided thinking about the, the, the negative, I don't know what to do with the negative. And now this brings me back to the beginning of this year, and this is really something that's hard to, it's hard to say out loud because it feels so controversial. The biggest trick that the Sahara plays on us is it gets us to interact with it with its own mentality. In other words, I, I wish I could like scream from, the, from the, the mountaintops and say this, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting so emotional about this. The Yetzirah says, Sur Merah, don't focus on the bad. Reject the bad. You're bad. You have bad things about you. You should be rejected. That's what the Yetzirah says. The Yetzirah doesn't care about any Avera you do. That's not what the Yetzirah is there for. The Yetzirah says, be a victim. Reject the bad. Reject the bad. Sur Merah, reject yourself. You have an area in your life that's bad, reject yourself. Don't be bad. You're bad, you have bad things about you, reject yourself. Get it out of here. Focus on the good, the good's amazing. Focus on the good, but take the bad things and stick it under a rug. Don't look at it. Reject it. Be full of shame, be full of guilt. And once or twice a year on, on, on Yom Kippur or Shoshana, clap al chait, or show up to a Chafetz Chaim video on, 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 on Tisha B'Av and hear about all the bad things you do. Uh, you have to change it, you have to change it, you have to change it, because we don't know how to handle the bad. And the Holocaust came and people jumped up and said, oh, oh bad, bad, you're so bad, you're so bad. And the post-Holocaust came and all the Rabbanim said, we have to prevent the bad, we, have, we can't handle the bad, we don't have any bad, no, no bad, no bad, no bad. So more chumras and more insularity and more constriction and more oppression, more victimhood, victim, 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 victim. The Sahara's whole picture of life is to say, you're a victim. That's what the Nachash came along and he said. The Nachash came along and said, the Nachash came along and said, you're not, you're not going to make this, you're not going to make it in this world anyway. 
The Nachash said to Adam and Chava, you know, you think, you think you're big, you think you're smart, you can be even bigger. You're not good enough. Eat from the Eitzadas Tevran, your eyes will be open to being something even bigger. There's a deficit, the Nachash said to Adam and Chava. There's something, you, can, you could be something better. He created a vacuum of negativity. He created a vacuum of shame that said, you're not good enough the way you are. You can have something better. All lust and all taiva and all avera comes from a, an experience that the neshama has that somehow, somewhere, I'm not good enough the way I am. I need to embellish it. I need to, I need to make it bigger. I need to make it worse. I need to reject myself somewhere, somehow. Something needs to be rejected inside, inside myself. And so there's a perversion from the potentiality until you cross the bridge. The whole Chachma of the Sahara is be a victim. And unfortunately, what we've learned, what we've been taught and ingrained in our bones is to treat our victimhood like a victim. To see ourselves with the negativity that the Sahara wants us to see ourselves. And so the Sahara comes and he says, Sormeira, reject the evil. Be, yeah, oh, this is bad. Yeah, you have to reject it. You can't be this way. And if you feel this way, you have to, you have to recognize you belong under a rug. The victim mentality, <coughs> excuse me, the victim mentality about evil is evil. And that's the whole, the whole sophisticated uh, um, challenge of evil is that evil gets us to think in evil ways about evil. Because evil says shame needs to be rejected. Evil says, I need to reject myself because I'm evil. The Chachma of the Eight Sahara is to say, be full of shame. Be down on yourself. Reject yourself. You did something bad, you talk bad. You did something terrible, you talk, you should feel terrible. You should be terrible. Rav Cook says that you can do tshuva in a second. You can snap your finger and do tshuva in a second. Why? What does he mean? Of course, we could spend a whole lifetime trying to grow. But if Cook says, to do tshuva in a second means you simply snap your finger and say, Hashem, I don't want to be this anymore. I don't want to be this anymore. I don't want to walk around rejecting myself all the time. I want to live like Shama says. I want to accept myself. I want to recognize with all the flaws and all the defects and all the negativities and all the bad things and all the disappointments and all the destruction and all the things I've done with my life, I'm still here. Exactly the way I am. Kala I'm exactly the way I am. And I embrace myself and I accept myself. And no matter what creates shame in me, and no matter what I want to spend 30, 40, 50 years in therapy working on, and no matter how I want to grow, and no matter what aspects cause me the pain that I have to I have to work on, no matter what that stuff is, but I'm here. And Hashem, you love me. And Hashem, you accept me. Not you don't just accept me, you embrace me exactly the way. I am. Kala Kamoshihi, says Shammai. So if we're going to enter the world of Tishabov and we're going to enter the world of destruction, and we're going to enter the world of victimhood, and we want to taste a little bit about the way that Sadiqam understood Tishabov, we have to start by recognizing acceptance. We have to start by accepting ourselves and not for a minute to think that any of the negative things that have happened to us, happened to us because Hashem Chas rejects us. Adarava, when we sit on the floor in Eicha, and we say Eicha, and we say Kinnis, and we say words that we say to Hashem, Hashem, you treated us like you reject us. Hashem, you, you, you treated us like, a, like, like, like it says in Eicha, like a woman, a woman that's in Nida, that she's, she's rejected in some way. That there's a certain degree of feeling off limits. We're not saying to Hashem, Hashem, we are rejected. We're saying to Hashem, Hashem, why do you make us feel rejected? Why do you make us feel so much pain? Why do you make us feel so negative? <clears throat> There's a concept in the Svarim, and we're going we're gonna to end with this as an introduction for, for Mitzvah Hashem next week. There's a concept in the Svarim where they talk about the Galas Hashchina, that Hashem says, I am with you in your time of pain. And the Svarim explained this on the most basic level to mean that when Hashem creates the world, Hashem does, runs the world the way Hashem runs the world. 
Hashem says, this person has to die, this person has to be molested, this person has to be gay, this person has to suffer from an addiction, <clears throat> this person has to be single, this person has to be married lonely, this person has to be divorced, this person has to uh, die suddenly, this person has to suffer. The list goes on and on and on. Hashem says all of those things. But Hashem says, you don't, you'll never know why I have to do those things, but you know something? It hurts me so much that you have to be in pain. It hurts me so much that you have to suffer through this. I'm so sad that for whatever reason you have to go through this. I'm so sad that you feel rejected by me. I'm so sad that you feel that I don't want to be with you. I'm so sad that you feel like I don't accept you the way you are. Means not that you went through negative things. I know you went through, I put you through negative things, but the fact that it has to be painful, the fact that you have to sit in pain, that people have to sit and cry in the loneliness of their bedroom at three o'clock in the morning for whatever reason. Hashem says, That hurts me. The gullus of the Shechina, the Shechina is in gullus, means that Hashem says, I'm with you. It's hurtful to me. It's hurtful to me that you have to be in pain. I accept you and I embrace you exactly the way you are. I know all the things that are hard for you. I know all the things that are negative about you. I know all the, the various, the sins that you've done. Don't you think I know that? Don't you know that I see your neshama inside vibrating, wanting to push out and be the best you can be? Don't you see I know that? Of course I know that. And the fact that you, for a second, question that makes me feel so sad. And come here, I want to give you a hug. Come here, I want to give you a hug. I'll end with this, with this, with this thought that I, I, I had recently about why the Torah is so careful to list all of the loisases. You'd imagine, you would think, if you were writing the Torah, maybe, I don't know if everybody would think this way, but I could certainly entertain this possibility that Hashem would, would write the Torah with all the mitzvahs I say, do all of these things. If you want to be, if you want to serve me, do all of these things, right? Service takes place through action. Take action and be holy. And we would understand, you know, each person would either make up for themselves what holiness looks like, or we would have, you know, Rabbanim that would teach us this is holy, this is not holy. Why does the Torah tell me this, the second one of the Sarasadibras is Why does the Torah have such an emphasis on the negative things that you do? And if you if you don't have faith, if you think that God is simply a, a narcissistic controlling uh, pig then you think that, that you relate to Loisa says as being controlling and rejecting and negative, and it's all negative, and there's such a focus on negative with averas and, and uh, punishments and consequences, etc. I, I think the opposite is true. I think that every love that's in the Torah, Hashem is saying to me like this, you want to eat lobster, right? You want to eat lobster, for those that want to eat lobster, of course. You want to eat, I would like to eat lobster. So I'll use that mushal. It's the tamest one of all of the times that I have. You want to eat lobster, the Torah says. So, okay, good. I know you want to eat lobster. And your desire to eat lobster comes from a good, beautiful place. You want a taste of all the aspects of, the, of my creation. You want to, your neshama is vibrating inside of you to know what it's like to eat, to eat lobster. Beautiful. That's great. The kayak for everything is, 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 is in there. The Gemara says, better a person should say, I want to eat chazer and not eat chazer, then say, I don't want to eat chazer. Meaning, the taiva to eat, the craving to eat, Hashem says, that's Kaddish Vitar. The fact that you want to do something wrong, Kaddish Vitar. The koyach to do any of is Kaddish Vitar. I'm telling you that because I want you to know that I recognize that there's such a thing as an interest in eating lobster. I know you want to eat lobster. I don't reject the fact that you want to eat lobster. I accept the fact you want. It's exactly the way you are. Acceptance exactly the way you are. I'm telling you that if you want to be kadosh, you shouldn't act on that craving. I want you to know that to be a full-blooded human being is to have a dark side of the moon, is to say, I want you to have all of those dark pockets Meaning, no, sorry, I want you to have all of those aspects of your life that are Kaddish Vatar, and I want you to learn how to discipline yourself. Because if you could learn to discipline yourself and know that there are certain behaviors that are off limits, you will become much greater of a person. Loisa says exists in the Torah not like 
we thought for a minute ago about Hillel was Hillel was saying that you have to reject all evil and just and just be good and big and big and beautiful. Lysaseis exists in the Torah because of Shammai. Shammai is connected to the world of Lysaseis. Midas Adin is connected to the world of, of Lysaseis. It's to say, I want you to embrace yourself exactly the way you are. I want you to be as authentic and honest and real about yourself as you are. Know every single thing you want in life. And learn within yourself to become the greatest possible chooser of good and evil. I want you to embrace everything about you. I don't want you to reject anything about you. I want you to embrace everything because everything comes from the most beautiful place inside. The fact that there are disappointments in life, the fact that we sin, the fact that there's a Chorban Beis Amikdash, all of that, Hashem says there has to be certain, you'll never understand why, there has to be certain limitations to life. You'll, you'll find out why later on, there has to be certain limitations to life. But don't for a minute think that you're a victim. Don't let the Yitzhahara convince you that you're a victim. And don't get caught up in the Yitzhahara's mentality about sin and the Yitzhahara's mentality about Korban, because there's never, ever a moment, Hashem says, that I reject anything about you. Even when you've done Averis, I don't reject you. Because I know you. I understand you. I'm with you. I live inside your head. I watch everything that goes on. I know every ounce you've struggled with that fill-in-the-blank, whatever that fill-in-the-blank is for you. I know you, and every time you, you've acted on that Avera, I've watched what went, on, when, what went on inside of you. I watched your neshama come all the way to the edge of the bridge to cross into reality, and I watched the water come and wash the bridge down, and then you couldn't get to the other side. And, and, and so you did the Avera. I know that. I see that. It's okay. It's okay. You're with me. I got you. I got you. We're good. We're tight. It's all good. That's the stage of victimhood. That's the stage of, of pain, of recognizing that the first stage to growth out of pain is that there's never ever chas v'shalom, a time that Hashem rejects us. That's the first stage of this year. I know this might've been a little intense, but this is a hakdama for the next, the next uh, part, of, part, which we're gonna talk about more what it means to be a survivor, what it means to get out of pain. And we'll move on, Amir Tzashem, then to what, it, to what it means to have Mashiach, Amir Tzashem. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And 